One billion years in the future, Earth still exists, though maybe not as we imagine it. Eras upon bygone eras worth of technology have been left behind by eight previous and fallen civilizations. It is now up to the denizens of the Ninth World to piece together what was left behind. Perhaps they're looking to carve out their place in the world, or simply to survive a land riddled with weird and unearthly dangers. Or perhaps still, they just wish to learn and uncover the secrets of the Numenera. Whatever it is this new era of adventurers and heroes is looking to discover, they'll have to dig through the imprinted echoes of the past to find it. Hello, and welcome to Imprinted Echoes, a family-friendly Numenera actual play podcast. I'm Zan, and I'll be your GM. Thank you for joining us for this episode. As always, we hope you're staying safe and healthy. This episode is a little bit longer than normal for us, but so many important things happened we just couldn't split it up. This time, our characters venture back into the echo chamber and finally turn it on. Technology is repaired, friends are held close, and instructions are given. Join us as Nehemiah, Smallrin, and Jory repeat back the imprinted echoes of those who have left them a message. You've taken a short break to eat lunch and recover a little bit outside of the echo chamber. But Rufus is getting a little impatient, and it's clear that it's probably time to see if the device in the room can in fact be turned on. What do you do? All right. Let's let's go back into this terrible room and see what's going on. You all finish up and head back in. Rufus is making adjustments to the pillars just to make sure that everything is exactly right. So it does look like I've been literally able to take their pain away. And the sound of it, I've been able to take it and and transfer it into some sort of energy. So it is working. Okay. I haven't started looking for any of the echo chamber controls yet, though. How long until that thing is charged up? Oh, it's already ready to go. Oh, dang. You all took an hour to eat lunch. (laughs) Fine. Forty-five minutes of which was Nehemiah on the floor (laughs) gumming at the bento box. (laughs) We just kind of let him have that one. My intellect was at zero at that point. (laughs) Really, anything for comfort. That's fair. Like, we've all had those days where our intellect's at zeros. We just gotta do... We gotta do the weird things our bodies need to do for comfort. Sometimes you just gotta gum a box. Sometimes you gotta gum a box. Alright. Rufus kinda takes a step back from the pillar structure just to look around it and make sure, again, that everything is exactly right. Out of the corner of your eye, you all see a kind of semi-transparent figure of a person kind of appear. Wiggity wiggity what? (laughs) And this person is almost glitchy, like superimposed versions of this person doing different things kind of overlapped on top of each other. Kind of almost a quicksilver moment where you can see him doing different things all at the same time very quickly. Mm -hmm. But rather than these things 
just happening very fast. It's almost like they're happening at exactly the same time, almost as though they are different versions of this person trying to do things at once. All of these images are anchored to the same being, but it's very disorienting to watch. Hey, Rue? Yes? Hey, Rue? Nehemiah, I'm very busy. I just... Eyes! Oh, and their hand just immediately goes and covers their mouth. Is that your guy? They nod, slowly. They can't form words at this point, but they nod, yes. Edos? Brax? Edos walks through the door, as does Brax. And as does Adriel, and Fahura follows as well. Mm-hmm, mm. They all come into the room and look at this glitching, jolting, semi-transparent figure. Edos is the first to approach. They walk forward, arms out, but at their side. Nick, is that you? The figure doesn't move forward. It doesn't seem to respond at first. Brax looks like they're about to run forward and starts to lurch towards the figure. But Fahura reaches up high and puts a hand on their shoulder to try and keep them from moving for just a moment longer. And then in a voice that sounds like it's broken and staticky almost seemingly coming from a million places at once, the figure responds. I can't stay long. They took me to the same place those voices are. It's a place of only sounds. You can save me. You can save them. But you're gonna have to follow the directions. I'll help when I can. I'm sorry. At this point, Fahura loses her grasp on Brax's shoulder, and they charge forward, trying to hug this image of their friend. But he fizzles out and fades away before Brax is able to grab onto him. Oh. All right. Okay. I would assume he must mean the song. Yeah. So they're all trapped. In a place where there's only voices. Oh, no. Brax doesn't speak, but if they did, you imagine they would be screaming right now. They lift both hands up and just smash them into the floor as their visor starts to turn black. I will... I'll go over to Brax and put the hand, like, up a firm hand on his shoulder. Alright, buddy. We're gonna get him back. Just just stay with us here, alright? Go ahead and make me a might defense roll real fast, as they reel on you and grab you by the shoulders and slam you up against the wall. Sure. That'll be a level four. Failure. Five. You're going to take two might damage as you're pressed up against the wall with their visor nearly touching your face. They're so close. Brex, you're hurting him. As you grunt in pain and as Smallrin calls out, the visor starts fading a little bit and their hands release from your shoulders. They stare for a moment 
and then storm out of the room. Yeah. Now that's fair. That's that's fair. <sighs> Are you <sighs> all right? Yeah. Ow. Edos comes over to you. I'm so sorry about He's, that. It's it's fine. I've taken worse from worse people under better circumstances. That's fair. I've done a little bit of looking around here in the time that you were eating and Rufus was tinkering. Mm -hmm. I don't think that turning on this device is without risk. No. If my understanding is correct, this is a small part of a large communication array. And between your discoveries and my research, I think that whoever built this place was not only trying to make communication lines between places far away from each other, but feasibly different places altogether. Possibly even different dimensions. Huh. I've had that theory rolling around in my mind for some time, but I've had no proof for it. If what that husk of Nick said is true, then I think my theories are well-founded. So what, you think we turn this on and, like, another world starts flooding in? I'm not 100% sure that's correct. But you're not 100% sure that's incorrect either. Unfortunately, no. <sighs> and he sinks down, head in his hands again. The instructions say to connect the feed. But in addition, it says verse 1 to break the silence. I have a feeling there are more instructions on the way. Uh... But we won't receive them unless we make contact with whatever this is. That's my theory, correct? All right. All right. What was the full verse again? Listen to the Rhapsody. Find the connection. Verse 1 to break the silence. Restore the power. Connect the feed. Within the chamber, echo the signal. A response is awaited, far and long. Listen to the Rhapsody. Break the silence. Save our voices from the tumult. Listen to the Rhapsody. Break the silence. But if they're trapped, then... This doesn't sound like it's instructions from the voices we're trying to rescue. So why do they need to be saved? I... Chase has a theory. I don't know if Nehemiah has a theory. That's very fair. Go for it. There's no reason he wouldn't. Fair enough. Well, what if... What if it is the same set of voices? What if something happened while people were here? People were doing their multidimensional what's-its, and they goofed it. And they goofed it real bad. And they got themselves trapped as sound. And that's what we're hearing. 
they're just screaming. They're they're crying. They're singing. Trying to get out. Hoping that somebody comes along and picks up on what's going on. And somehow they're they pulled Nick in, hoping that maybe an extra voice to the chorus might help. That is possible. And they're right, because we were listening, but now they have our attention. I don't like being my hand being forced like that, but here we are. I'm suddenly much less sympathetic of these voices now that it sounds like they might have taken a hostage in order to get us to help them. Yeah, and look, agreed. Counterpoint. It's gonna work. Well, yeah, of course it's gonna work, but I'm mad about it. Also, not for nothing, I honestly wouldn't have minded helping them anyways because the song's pretty and all, but it's 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 just constant. I'd like an additional verse just so there's a little bit more going on. I mean, obviously, we've all had the same song going, but I, Chase, have lived that life before. I've worked at a Chuck E. Cheese. I have had the same hour and a half of music looped, and it's awful. I mean, Rin and I have both worked October at Costume Holiday House. You know what? That's legit. I think this was brought up at a previous point as well, because we had the question about whether or not Monster Mash was on that playlist. Which I'm I'm pretty certain... I'm pretty certain Monster Mash was. There was mention of like a a remix or something that I do not think was. I think there's a sequel song to it, but that didn't usually pop up on the playlist we had. It was like, oh, just Thriller and Halloween soundtrack. And thriller and Monster Mash alternating for two months. Basically. Purple People Eater. Love Potion Ugh. number nine. Oh, I forgot Love Potion number nine was oh, in there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've blocked out a significant amount of that. I don't know why this. Why is that a Halloween song? Because it's like a potion. It's like witches. It's on every Halloween playlist witches. I've ever heard. I know. Potions are creepy. Eh. Spoopy potions. Spoopy. Yeah, there's there's a small enough hool to draw from for Halloween music. They kind of will include anything that sounds vaguely spooky or gothic or witchy. Fair. All right. The spooky voices have given us our marching orders. So what's our next step? Well, got to restore the power and connect the feed. We're going to have to look around a bit, I think. You haven't really explored this room yet. Yeah, let's find a plug. No, we we need to see what's in here, but also we need to figure out, I would assume we're connecting the feed to the transmitter, but that's not 100% assured. Rufus says, I I can almost guarantee that's what they're asking for. (laughs) Thank you, Rufus. I mean, yes, there is technically a small percentage that maybe it's something else that they're asking for, uh, but if we're going to relay the signal, we need a way to transmit it now, don't we? Thank you, Rufus. Voice of reason. (laughs) So I'm going to assume that you all want to look around and kind of figure out everything that's in here. Um, Let me give you a basic idea of what's in the room where you currently are and the setup of everything. In the echo chamber, as you walk into the door, there's a wall almost immediately to your left. But extending from that is a long tube 
that extends down a hallway to the right and kind of starts curving around. And you can assume that it curves around in the same way that the rest of these hallways have, kind of in that circular shape that surrounds most of the settlement. On that wall that's to the left, there is a control panel there, but other than that, it's a pretty sparse room. I'll go check out the curvy hallway. You start walking through the hallway, and it's definitely echoey in here, but as you look at the long tube that's curving around, you get the idea that this device is probably what's considered the echo chamber. You eventually do hit the end of this, and it looks like, based on what you understand, it probably wraps around about halfway through what this path would be if it were a complete circle. So, like, a semicircle. Go ahead and give me what you feel would be an appropriate role for how Nehemiah would be looking around for things. Is it perception? Is it by talking through the process with someone? What is it? Perception, probably. Okay, yeah. Uh, So it would be an intellect role, and you are trained in perception. What's the difficulty? Difficulty five. Cool. Oh, success with a 19. Minor success. Yeah, minor success. So I'll tell you what you find, and then if you want to, you can decide what the minor success is from there. Sure. You follow the curve around to the other end of the chamber, and there is a space between the end of this tube and the far wall. And there are just wires hanging out from the tube, and it looks like these have either been cut or in some way disconnected from where they're supposed to be attached into the wall. Upon closer inspection, it looks as though they've been chewed off. Mm. By something. Who knows what. There's also another control panel nearby this wall. Okay. Do I notice anything about that control panel specifically, or...? The controls here seem to be similar to the ones that you found in the domed room that is mm-hmm. somewhere above you. Okay. All right. And I'll kind of call out down the uh, the echo chamber. All right. I got a control panel over here and some rue. You might want to check this out. There's some chewed up wires pretty bad. Uh, just keep an eye out for that kind of stuff. And can I ease up um, the other two's rolls by one? Yeah, you can cool. do that. Sure. All right. Smallren or Jory? I would actually like to take a look at this control panel and see if I can snag Jory to help me translate what's on it so I can add it to my little Rosetta Stone that I'm building in my mentor's notebook. Yeah, for sure. Jory, would you mind uh, helping me translate this? Looks like there are some uh, markings on here, some labels. I like those things. Yeah, let's see. What have we got? It's nothing out of the ordinary, really. Some stuff about powering it up, controls concerning the level of reverb. There is a small readout that looks like it is monitoring wavelength and amplitude and frequency, uh, like a sound wave and how that might be affected by what's going on in the chamber. There are a couple of dials uh, that seem to be reading energy output, Overall, it looks like this control panel is meant to monitor what is happening inside the chamber, as well as any sort of signal it is putting out. 
That's kind of exactly what you'd think it might be. This one, it's like a monitoring and output regulative panel. I'll have both of you roll me an intellect level five to look around, and it would be easy to step because of Nehemiah's minor success. Is this perception-based at all? Would I be able to use my my orb? Yeah, perception would be fine. Still fail. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool, man. I found the coffee maker button Ooh. on the end of the panel, and I'm just kind of going with that. I think I failed. Yep. Yeah. No. Smallrin also found the coffee maker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about all you pick up on here. Doesn't seem like any of this is necessarily overly complex, but these are definitely things you don't understand the exact inner workings of yet. And also, once she realizes that it's basically exactly what she expected, uh, Smallrin's Ogren orb makes her impatient with it, and she starts to lose interest against her will. <laughs> yeah, for sure. After a little while, I'll say you guys go to the other side with Nehemiah and figure out that there's also a panel on that end of the hallway. This panel has some similar controls, but more seems to be controlling the source of the sound that the chamber is using, where that signal is coming from. On the panel, among some other things, there is a dial that you can select either live or stored. So they can choose whether they're transmitting or locking it up in those banks we saw. I will say that this seems not to necessarily be controlling where it's sending the sound, but rather where it's pulling the sound from, because you have to have a sound to put into the echo chamber. Oh, oh, interesting. Okay. So as you're looking at that, I'll consider this part of Nehemiah's role as he's been fiddling around with things along with Rufus, and you've basically figured out that you can either record a message to transmit or transmit a live message of some sort. Obviously, you've also figured out that they've used sound as an energy source here, so this might also have been a way to continually amplify sound to make it a viable energy source. A kind of dual purpose. As you all are looking at this, Rufus walks up to the wires. Well, I think we could probably have this fixed pretty quickly. I'm sure that if it's just a matter of orange wire to orange wire, I think we can make this happen rather, rather fast. I will probably need a little bit of help in terms of the manual labor, but I think I can, I can make this work. Well, if it's manual labor, that I can help with maybe maybe like tomorrow or the day after tomorrow I can help out with that I am still very tired <laughs> why, do, why don't we come back to this then when Rufus says that you notice that Edos is visibly on edge at the idea of waiting mm -hmm. they don't argue though they just take a deep breath and nod how far into the day are we? Like what? At this point, it's past lunchtime, so mid-afternoon. Edos continues nodding. Uh, if we want to take a break and come back to this tomorrow, I think that is amenable. 
I just don't know what use I'm going to be because even that nice little break there didn't get me back up to 100%. And I'm pretty sure my ears are still bleeding. So that's understandable. If something breaks bad, I want to be on top of it. We don't know what's going to happen once we start following these instructions. We don't know if we're going to be able to pull back. I understand. I, I can tell you want to get this resolved, and I don't I don't fault you for that, Edos. I don't, but we got to make sure we're doing this right. He's been there for how long? Another day ain't going to hurt. One more day won't hurt. You're right. There's also a very real possibility that... At the moment, we're operating off the assumption that these voices somehow got trapped and then they're the ones that took Nick. It is possible that there is some form of being we don't know about that took them in the first place. So we don't know that we aren't going to get snatched as well. Ah, oh, geez, I didn't even thought about that, but you're right. You're right, you're right, you're right. It's like an ogre, which is like an onion, which has layers. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's get back in the sun. You guys pack up what little you brought down here with you, obviously leaving the pillars and the battery and that device. But you start heading back up to the surface. The heavy side layer. <laughs> We're going to cat heaven, guys. To be reborn from cat heaven. Maybe. Maybe. It goes a little faster coming back, obviously not having all that equipment to drag along with you, but you quickly make it back topside with the plan to return beneath first thing tomorrow morning. Is there anything you want to do for the evening? Anything you want to do to prepare for tomorrow? Smallrin would actually like to take this opportunity to find one of her blinds, the highest one she can get, so the furthest away from that screaming pillar, and just look through her mentor's notes, see if there's anything involving interdimensional ciphers or anything that might be helpful. Go ahead, and I will have you roll intellect, level five, with an asset for the book. Since I have the Ogren Orb, can I use my training and perception tasks to make sure that I'm, like, not reading too fast, not scanning over something that might be useful? Yeah, I'll allow that. Okay. Yes. Ooh, major effect. Are you okay with this just being more information, major effect-wise? Yes, I would love that. I love information. You do find some information about other dimensions, and there are actually some relatively well-known places that involve dimensional travel. There's a city that has a mirror existence of itself that you can get to by traveling through a strange portal that divides the two of them. There are places within the mountains that if you find the right crag, you can step into a dimension that will take you to a strange university somewhere. There are a lot of different things that are known in terms of dimensional travel, but mostly only to those that understand it and know where to find them. Most of these places, at least the ones that are more widely known, are pretty normal. Places that might have a green sky instead of a blue one, or a place where people do everything in reverse, 
or maybe people have a slightly different physiology. But for the most part, everything about these places is recognizable. Your mentor's notes also posit that there are some stranger dimensions out there. That there are some places that are utterly unrecognizable. One of these dimensions the book suggests could exist is a place that is just strange, undulating tendrils all over the place. And that's really the only thing that exists there. And the idea of traveling there would be dangerous and confusing, if not deadly. The notes also say that there might be a place that exists only in sound. There isn't a name for it. Your mentor didn't have a name for this place. But they had heard whispers of a dimension that was nothing but noise. Smallrin notes all of this, like, has a fresh page in the back that she kind of transfers all of that information to one place and makes sure that it's where she can access it so she can share it with everybody the next day. But she does stay in her blind. It's been kind of a trying day and she's going to stay out of everyone else's sight for a while. Makes sense. Nehemiah? Nehemiah goes to sleep. <laughs> All right. Soon as soon as hits topside, unless somebody tries to pull him somewhere into the hammock, there he has a book. It is being used exclusively to block the sunlight, and he is out. Early bedtime. Mm-hmm. Jory? I think I'm going to kind of take my earlier thought and see if I can community explore around and find something to pile together. Maybe something that can help protect us from types of situations like we were just in. See if there's anything around I think would help because we're probably going to be dealing with this type of aggression a lot. Sure. Or at least mentioning it to to Rufus or something. Yeah. Rufus is pretty... Occupied at the moment, but does give you, uh, knowing that you have an eye for Numenera, offers you free reign to any of the supplies in their workshop if you want to look through them. Yes. So I'm going to go ahead and have you make a salvage roll. So it's going to be salvaging Numenera, which I believe is an intellect task. Difficulty? Because you have everything here in front of you and it's just a matter of finding the right parts, it's going to be a level three. Okay. Yay! 16. Awesome. Success. So you're trying to create something that would be worn then? I, that was my thought, or it could even be kind of a lightning rod type of situation, you know, or maybe like earplugs, just something defensive if we know we're going to go into into something that might have similar effects, because I didn't, I didn't like that as a human, um, <laughs> and I don't think anybody else did, um, and it's so difficult because it's not something you can really see to defend yourself against. So either either some kind of like warning system or a lightning rod or a, you know, anything like that. Sure. You find a couple of useful bits and bobs of things, but you also find the helmet that Rufus was originally going to use as part of the translation device that they were trying to make, but has now kind of fallen by the wayside since you can understand the language. 
So you start looking at this and see how you might be able to use it, and you're taking off pieces and parts, and you end up making this headband thing that kind of goes around your head. So I'm going to have you make me a crafting Numenera roll. Okay. Um, So I am enabled in that... Yeah, so feel free to add a level of effort to that if you want. And intellect again? Yes. Okay, and um, difficulty for this. Uh, you know what? Uh, roll me a d6. Just a straight d6? Just a straight d6. It'll be a level four then. Okay. No, I was banging on a toaster the whole time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> banging on a toaster. So you rolled a nine, so that's a failure. But with that, the theory that you have is sound, and you think that given more time, you could probably get this done. Basically, what that failure is saying that you are not able to get this done now. You're not able to complete it currently. But with more time, you could probably make this work. Well, I have officially eliminated one way in which to create this. Writing it down. Hey, do not bang on this in that way. Cool. All right. Time for bed. (laughs) Nehemiah takes an early bedtime. Smallrin spends the rest of the day reading. And Jory tinkers into the night in Rufus's workshop. Eventually, one way or another, you all make it to bed and take some well-needed rest before venturing back down into the echo chamber tomorrow. The night passes without incident. You wake up the next morning, ready to go. When you awake, Rufus is already up in Adam. Edos is as well. And eventually you're joined by the entire party that you had taken down with you previously. Fahura does decide to go down with you this time. When asked why she's not staying up to take care of everything on the surface, she says, Well, apparently there's a lot more that interests me down there than I originally thought. And if something goes wrong up here, Dio can take care of it. And as you guys are gathering up, Dio happens to walk by as Fahura says that and says, there's a new sheriff in town and kind of just gives finger guns to everybody. (laughs) And Adriel just rubs her temples. You could stay up here, Adriel, if you got a problem with that. No, I think that's why I'm coming with you. (laughs) (laughs) So as everybody has woken up here, everyone can go ahead and make that last recovery roll, that 10-hour one. And then once you've done that, it will reset back to being one action. Oh, three. Excellent. Anything else before you guys head back down? I actually might take that one action recovery roll. Same, yeah. Fahura leads you all in some morning yoga. There we go. Alright. Another seven. Excellent. I am now at 11, 14, 11. Good, good. I'm 9, 13, 16. Which is still low considering your intellect Which is, is still low at for me. That's 24, but. Oh, my bad. <laughs> this is what I was saying. Like, we needed. 
like two days to like actually like really recover. Yeah. No, that 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 screaming pillar did a number on us. Mm -hmm. Holy Moses. So you head back down. The beginning of this is actually fairly mundane. Rufus sets up a small workspace and gives everyone some instructions. It's mostly a matter of reconnecting wires, plugging things into the right spot, reattaching connections and components, just to make sure that they do exactly what they're supposed to. I'm also going to take this moment to note that since you said the beginning of this is fairly mundane, I'm now terrified for the rest of this. <laughs> I, well, <laughs> I mean, no worries. <laughs> As you guys are working on all of this, Edos is walking back and forth along the length of the echo chamber tube. They're the only one not actively working on any of the equipment. It seems like they're taking notes, very detailed notes, on everything that's down here and everything you all are doing. It takes you a good portion of the morning and even into the afternoon to get everything finally fixed and put together properly. Rufus, of course, does one last check on everything, and then steps back and says, I think it's ready to go. Really, sincerely, I do. Um... Uh are we ready to try this? Yeah. I think we do. Okay. Should I set it to live or stored sound? Are we drawing directly from the pillar, or is this coming from the battery that you've hooked up? The power is coming from the battery. But we're talking about where the sound is coming from, Correct, right? yes. If I understand all of the wiring correctly, um, I believe the stored sound comes from where your void friend is living. Yep. Those are the stored recordings. I think you're right. So maybe we should do this live. Let's let's try live first and see if that'll work. That sounds wise. I've got a bad feeling that we might need to go stored. But if that's the case, we need to be ready for a fight. Right. Uh, let's try live. If we need to cross that bridge when we get there, we can. But let's try this first. Yeah. Rufus clicks the dial over to live. So it seems like this end of the control panel is relatively passive. It once you set everything, it's pretty much good to go. I think the other end is more of where you control how everything happens and, and understand how it all works together. So with everything on this side set, let's go to the other side. So everyone travels back to the other end. Everyone being the three of you, obviously, Rufus, Edos, Fuhura, and Adriel. Brax has not come with you this time. You did see them walking around the outskirts of the settlement earlier, but they did not follow you down today. Rufus is standing at the other control panel. So I guess we just uh, turn it on? Oh, wait. And they point to a little 
square little button on the control panel. And Jory, you can read it. It's not the power button. But they reach out and press it, and a little panel pops out, and there's a tiny gooseneck microphone on there, like the ones that you saw in the domed room above you originally. I think this is how we do it live. I was wondering what that might be for previously, but I get it now. Um, am I talking? Is someone else talking? Someone else should do the talking. I'm not good at the talking. We might want to have Jory talk, given the language all the other communications have been in. We'll see if I can make all the right sounds. Um, what do we want to say? I mean, what if you just sing the song? I think that sounds like a good idea. I'll give it a shot, I guess. Yeah, hold on, hold on. Within the chamber, echo the signal. Yeah, that sounds... That's the signal. Echo it. Okay. Does anyone have a pitch pipe? I don't think that would help me, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Edos nods and says, If it's okay with everyone, I will be the one to turn this on. If something goes horribly wrong with it, no one else needs to bear the burden of having initiated it. I appreciate the mentality, and you are more than welcome to have that, but I think we're all going to feel a little bad if something goes wrong. Are you ready, Jory? Actually, really quickly, in my miscellaneous inventory, I do have a vocal changer, and I don't know if that would help my tone or my pitch at all. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, good. You can use that cipher, and I will allow that to give you perfect pitch. Oh, beautiful. The only time in my life. Jory has an automatic auto, uh, auto-tuner. auto Auto-tune. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, so that cipher will be depleted. You can go ahead and delete that from your inventory. All right. Are you ready then? Yep. Edos reaches out and presses the power button. The lights on the panel come to life, and a spiraling orange light, almost like a rope light, around the outside of this tube in the echo chamber illuminates all the way down the hallway. Not unlike the orange light from the Pillar of Faces that is still nearby, and you can hear whimpering slightly in the back of your mind, and not unlike the orange that the orb is up top. The color had changed to orange recently. Very much like that color. Under Rufus's direction, Edos makes a couple of adjustments to the knobs and dials, and then gestures for Jory to step up to the microphone. I do, and I will start to reciprocate the signal. You start to sing the song. Because it's still playing in the background, you sing along with it. It's hard to forget. I mean, you have it memorized by now. And with the help of the vocal changer, it sounds absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if any of you have heard Jory sing before, but if you had, what she's saying now is even better. And the orange spiral light around the echo chamber tube starts to shift to blue, then green, then red and yellow, almost like those LED light color changing strips where it just goes through the course of the entire rainbow in a smooth flowing motion. And you continue to sing 
You complete the verse once. Do you stop there? Um, what happens around the time I finish the first time? You've noticed that the colors have started changing faster. Okay, I'll keep going then. You sing it a second time, and a third time, and by the time you finish that verse a third time, the colors have started changing so quickly that it just looks white. All colors of light combined together, just pulsing out of this tube. Edos makes a couple of adjustments and looks to you. Try it one more time. Okay, I think we're about to reach the drop anyway. I will do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Ren. You sing through the verse again, and as that happens, Edos looks down at the readout and then looks up back at all of you and says, Oh no. And I'm going to use a GM intrusion here. Which is something I haven't used in a while. Oh boy. As Jory finishes singing the verse a fourth time, the light around the tube in bright white expands outward to fill the entire room and everything is enveloped in this light. And then it starts to collapse back in on itself. And as it does, it starts to pull at you. Oh. Uh-oh. SpaghettiOs. Each of you are able to keep your footing here. For whatever reason, you're able to stand your ground. But the people you're with, for some reason, aren't. Maybe because they've been here longer, or maybe because you've explored the space down below more than they have. Who knows? But either way, they are starting to be physically pulled into this light. Edos is the first to go. The white light touches them and starts almost disintegrating their image in front of you and pulling at them. The white light sucks them in and they disappear. The way that GM intrusions work is that you can give me an experience point to say no thank you to what's happening. Fahura, Rufus, and Adriel are all starting to be pulled in by the light. Each of you can spend an experience point to save one of them. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, that's a good idea. I'm... Who do you save? And how do you do it? I will... Ooh, I know what I'll do. Because I was working with Rufus. I will spend that and I will effectively just make it my step in front ability. I realize I'm not being pulled in. So I'm just going to go in front of them and like kind of like wrap my arms and pull them close. It's like, nope, no, not you. Not you. We're boned if you're gone. You spend that experience point and by shielding Rufus from the light, you are able to keep them there. I think that Smallren grabs a hold of Adriel, and because uh, she took her flex skill in might tasks today, she basically is going to like tackle her to the ground and like get her in kind of a wrestling hold and like just hold her as as hard as possible. It's a little awkward and uncomfortable for the both of you. But you pin her down and keep her from being sucked away by the light. Quick question. If I stop singing, does the light go away? No, the process has been initiated. So obviously I stop and I will grab onto Fuhura's arm and I will phase through the closest object to put me instantly on the other side of it so that I'm kind of an anchor. Yeah. 
Oh, that's cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're basically serving as this literal concrete anchor that is kind of between the wall and the space holding her there, and you're able to keep her from getting sucked away. I am the carabiner now. (laughs) You each have taken hold of someone there, and eventually the light pulls back in in that spiraling pattern back into the echo chamber tube and you take a moment and listen and the song changes you don't notice it at first because the first couple of words are the same but then you notice that the in-between parts are different the rhythm is the same the scheme is the same but the words are different It's a new verse. Jory, as you phase back through the wall and start to hear this, you hear the translated version. Listen to the rhapsody. Restore the array. Verse 2 to break the silence. Traverse the graveyard to the tree. Beware the arms. They can be soothed. Your reply is heard across dimensions. Listen to the rhapsody. Break the silence. This will lead you to the tumult. Listen to the rhapsody. Break the silence. Um, I will relay that <laughs> to my compatriots. Right. And I will say that, Jory, when you phase back in, you hear this. Everyone else is now kind of recovering. So in this moment, Jory hears the translation, and everyone else has a moment to figure out what's going on and recenter themselves a little bit. Traverse the graveyard. So the question is, is the graveyard here? Or is this much more what's the word? Metaphorical. Probably both. Unless the recordings uh, are considered a graveyard. It is kind of gravy down there. It it's a little grim, but I can't think of anything that'd be a tree. Nehemiah, go ahead and roll me intellect level two. Okay. I will. You know what? This seems important. I will go ahead and spend the two to make that a one. I've had a rough enough luck with these today. There we go. I'm glad I did. I rolled a six. <laughs> That's a pass. When you originally traveled here, most of you came from the northwest. But Nehemiah, you came a little bit more from the north, heading directly south. It was far off in the distance, and you never approached it. But on your journey, you remember seeing a large floating orb on the horizon that looked like it had some sort of tree growing out of it. Ooh. Huh. Floating tree. In the middle of a graveyard. Imagine that. Well, how far north is it? About 160 miles. Whew. So. A ways. Quite a few days of walking. All right. Well. Rufus, hearing all of this, steps back and brushes themselves off a little bit. I, I need to sit down. Yeah, yeah, I think I just need to sit down for a moment. Yeah. And they just sit down on the floor, cross-legged. 
and they're just quiet for a while. Oh. I'm going to go ahead and sit like back to back with Rufus and sit as give them something to lean on if they need to. Well, I actually feel like this time the instructions are clear. I know where we're going. I passed it. Oh, okay. It's a it's it's a good walk north and I think I think it should be a smaller team this time just in case. I would agree with that. I think that the three of you should probably stay here. Hold down Lagam and we can do what needs doing. Adriel is still on the ground from where you tackled her, Smallrin, and she sits up and says, uh, Okay. <sighs> Ooh. I... And she can't seem to form words right now. I'm sorry if I took you down a little hard. No, that's better than the alternative. Fahura at this point is shaken and kind of working herself into a panic. Yes, yes, I agree that you should probably be the ones to go, and I will make sure that you have all of the rations you need. I will make sure that you have all the equipment you need. I will make sure that anyone who's supposed to go with you will be there ready to go. I'll make sure that we start planning Uh-hura. this trip immediately. No, no, I, I need to make sure that you're it's all going okay. to be okay. I need to start this planning right now. I walk over and give Fahura <laughs> She gladly accepts and <laughs> takes a deep breath. It's, it's going to be fine. We're going to get this taken care of. Get yourself collected. Get our rations collected. You too good to leave first thing in the morning? Oh, yeah. I think that sounds like an excellent idea. All right. About an hour before dawn, we'll head out. Get a nice early start. Get a lot of ground covered that first day. First day is always most crucial. We'll get out. We'll get rolling. I was kind of hoping not to have to go there. The place looks real creepy. Well, it's probably on the right track then, so. Right? Yep. Well, we'll get this sorted. We'll get them both out. And then, once we get them pulled out, once we get whoever these voices are pulled out, we're going to have a long chat with these voices about uh, the ethics of just kidnapping folk and potentially converting them into sound and light. (laughs) Because that does seem rude. All right. You help your companions back to the top and start making your preparations to head out in the morning. What do you all specifically prepare to take with you? Anything that you want to do to prepare yourselves? Anything you want to make sure you take? Anything you want to make sure of before you leave? I think just the same stuff. If there's anything that um, mm-hmm. maybe Rufus can help me with defensively. I will say, the first thing it says is restore the array. That sounds as if it might have to happen here. I thought the way that I took that was that restoring the array is what happens when we go. Like, it's saying you need to restore the array to do that, you gotta go to this creepy tree with the graveyard full of hands. Tendrils, actually, but 
I'm just saying, Rufus, perhaps you might want to work here on identifying if the array is something within that compound, just in case mm. we're wrong. That's that's a good a good idea. I'll do a little bit of research on that. Yeah. Um, give me a moment. And they start rummaging through things in their workspace. Oh, where is the... Uh, I know, I had it just right here. Where, uh, mm, where is it? And they're going to take a moment to find what they're looking for while Zan takes a moment to look through their notes because they can't remember where they wrote this down. While you're looking through your notes, I'm also going to put on your radar that the next thing that Smallrin is going to do is, uh, rather than looking through her mentor's notes, she's going to go to Edos's workspace and start going through their notes to see if there is anything that, with the information we have, suddenly seems more important. That makes sense. In Edos's notes, you find a lot of references to the fact that it seems that this is all part of something larger. That the structure specifically seems as though it is part of some bigger network. And this is early on in Edos's notes, but it seems like maybe this connects in some way to something else. At the time that was written... The people here still weren't necessarily sure what was below the orb, so this could be referring to the stuff you found underground, or it could mean that there are other similar things out there that this is connected to elsewhere. Was there anything else you were looking for, Smallrin, or...? No, that's... yeah. I, I didn't know what I was looking for. I was just seeing if there's anything useful. Jory Rufus pops back up out of their toolbox and holds out two things to you. Uh, here! The thing in their right hand is a piece of paper, something that the two of you had been taking notes on. You remember that you, when you were looking back through the notes that you had found in the various journals, that this structure, the project here, had been referred to as EAR. And the two of you had worked out what that acronym stands for. And on the paper, you see Euclidative Articulation Relay. Euclidative meaning to make something clear or bring something to light. Articulation referring to clear communication. And relay being the process of something happening between two points. Okay, got it. In their left hand is a small little component. And they say, this, this is what you need for that. And they point over to the workbench where the headband you've been working on is sitting. I know that's not what you were asking for in the moment, but I just needed to do something useful. Something I knew I could complete right now. Rufus! What have you got? It, it's just a power supply. Jory, go ahead and roll me another crafting Numenera level mm. four. Nope. Sorry, y'all. Happens. Yeah, it's all good. Fives happen. Rufus says, Assuming that you don't need this immediately, I could definitely work on this and try to make it happen soon? Yeah, it's probably a good idea. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll work on this, and maybe something else will come to me as I do that to try and figure out 
all of this. No sweat. I'm sorry I kind of banged up the sides. That's okay. I I can work out the dents. Nehemiah, what do you plan on doing? As soon as we hit topside, I make for Dio to let him know what happened. Nobody else needs to to shoulder that and like people people need to know. Like, hey, these are these are the the factors we're working with here. I also let him know that the three of us are going to be rolling out of town probably for a couple of weeks at least. And if he has any any ideas as far as like how to make travel safer or faster, mounts are probably out of the question, but So uh it's not fail safe, but there is a wild herd of anine out here. And you all know anine to be a very common beast of burden, mount, mm-hmm. pack animal sort of creature. Sure. I can try to catch you a couple of them, and they're usually pretty docile. Uh-huh. But I can't guarantee they'll be fully cooperative as domesticated anine would be. Oh, no. But it would at least get you there faster. We'll take it. Something got Edos, and so we are working on a time crunch. I'm going to grab a couple of my buddies here, and we'll see if we can't catch you a couple. We just saw them in the area not too long ago, so... Excellent. Awesome. Thank you. We'll see what we can catch for you for tomorrow morning. Yeah, I'm going to... We're, we're going to be leaving just before dawn. I'm going to try and get myself back into fighting shape in case things get weird. And if need be, tomorrow's a new day and Smallrin could take animal handling as her flex skill. That is true. That is very true. And honestly, I will spend the rest of the day uh, using recovery rolls. Yeah. If you spend your time in the first tree doing that, go ahead and add one to all of your recovery rolls. As for her, make sure you have a steady supply of food and care. And her nurturing capability will add one to any recovery roll made in her presence. I I would also like to do that. <laughs> you guys spend your time at the first tree then. Any time that's not spent doing something, you'll be there resting. Anything else you wanted to do, Jory? Yeah, I don't I don't I don't think so. I'm just trying to get my mind back. All right. You all spend most of the rest of the day at the first tree, eating, relaxing, planning. At one point, Brax walks in with a giant crate and just kind of drops it heavily on the table where you all are sitting. And you look in it, and it looks like just a random assortment of technology and bits and pieces of things. But there's a little note attached to the crate that says, This is kind of just a bunch of random stuff, but you might find something useful in here if you dig far enough. Rufus. And I'm going to give each of you a random cipher. Excellent. And correct me if I'm wrong, we have a communication cipher implant thing, but that shouldn't count towards our cipher limit, correct? Yeah, and that's long since depleted. Okay, I couldn't remember. It's just still on my sheet, so. Yeah, so it no longer counts towards your cipher limit, but it's also not functional any longer either. So I'm going to have everybody roll a die, any die. If you roll an odd number, you'll take the first cipher listed. If you roll an even number, you'll take the second cipher listed. 
Y'all should have those cards now. Uh, what did you get? A visual displacement device. It projects holographic images of the wearer to confuse attackers. The images appear around the wearer, and this gives the wearer an asset to speed defense actions for 10 minutes. I love that sort of thing. Uh, the level is 1d6 plus 2, so I'm going to roll that. That is a 1, so it's a level 3 cipher. And I will put all of these in your sheets in a moment here. Nehemiah, what'd you get? I got the Mental Scrambler. Two rounds after being activated, the device creates an invisible field that fills an area within short range and lasts for one minute. Uh, The field scrambles the mental processes of all thinking creatures, making it so they move slowly in immediate range and clumsily. Uh, The effect lasts as long as they remain in the field and for another 1d6 rounds after, although an intellect defense roll is allowed each round to act normally, uh, both in the field and after leaving it, and it is also 1d6 plus 2. So that's going to be a level 6. I got a persuasion enhancement. So for the next 28 hours, the user has training in persuasion. And what level? One. You all make your preparations. Dio is able to get you some mounts. They are wild creatures, but it's better than nothing. Gotta start somewhere. Still twice as fast. He spends the night trying to wrangle the Anine and get them settled in a little bit. And the rest of you rest, eventually sleep, and ready yourselves to leave first thing tomorrow morning for this orb with a tree in it. Game. Thank you so much for listening to episode 29 of Imprinted Echoes. If you'd like to follow the podcast on social media, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Imprinted Echoes and our website at imprintedechoes.com. On our website, you can find links to the Ghostlight Media merch store, as well as our Patreon, if you're able to help us out monetarily. And in that vein, I'd love to thank Jeremy, Carlin, and Roger for their continued support. If you'd like to help support us in other ways, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating on review on whatever podcatcher will let you. Ratings and reviews go a long way in helping getting our name out there. As always, you can find our hosts on Twitter, myself at Covered and Sawdust, Chase at TQ Loudly, Rin at Rin underscore Moran, and Bridget at Really Bridget. And of course, be sure to follow our network, Ghostlight Media, at GLM Pods. Thanks once again for listening, and I hope you'll be back in two weeks to hear another episode of Imprinted Echoes. And until then, may your ciphers never malfunction. Imprinted Echoes is produced by Zan Campbell-Johannes and Chase Greenlee, and is edited by Pat Mahood. Original show theme music is by Justin Longacre. The song you hear from the structure and from the echo chamber is called Dorme, with lyrics by Zan Campbell-Johannes, music by Carlin Campbell-Johannes, and performed by Bridget Randolph. This has been a Ghostlight Media production.